0: Sometimes what happens is uh, we can make scriptures say something that it actually doesn't say at all and sometimes I think we can do this out of a good heart. We might not realise that we're doing it. We find a brother or sister who's in need. We find that there's something going on in their lives. We just want to encourage them. They might be in sin and we just want to bring them back on the right path and sometimes what can happen is we can use scriptures and that actually don't say what they're, what they're originally intended to say and whenever we do that No matter how good-hearted and how noble it is, it's actually wrong because what it does is it perpetuates that untruth. That person may take it then and tell it to somebody else. You know, Jesus is on the way, the truth and the life and he asks his people to preach, speak truth. So, context is really, really important. One of the reasons for me saying this is because sometimes what can happen is that when we preach a a verse to somebody to try and encourage them, it actually may cause more damage. It may end up even causing hurt. And that's not what we want, is it? We need to be really careful about the way we handle God's word. Uh, Pastor John, I'm sure, has given you a bit of a rundown of the reason why John wrote the first epistle to, uh, to the Ephesian church. Um, but I'm going to reiterate that a bit this morning, as I was kind of because I don't know what he's preached over the last little while. I kind of, from the way I want to preach this message, I kind of needed to set up a bit of a a, a pre, whatever. So the reason, the reason for the writing this letter is because of false teaching that had come into the church. Again, context is everything. False preachers had come into the church and they started preaching another gospel. Of course, every time you preach a gospel that is not the gospel, it's not the gospel, is it? There's only one gospel. There's only one good news. We preach anything else, as Paul says, it's not the gospel at all. These teachers were saying that Jesus was born a man. We kind of go, yeah, what's wrong with that? But what they were saying is that Jesus was born a man of Joseph and Mary. That the Spirit... The real, the real Christ didn't come onto Jesus the man until he was baptised. And then just before he was crucified, that same real Christ then departed. That's called the Gnostic heresy. And I, I'm kind of thinking that probably should create some alarm bells in us when we hear those sorts of things because it just destroys the Gospel. No virgin birth no suffering Sagan, no righteous blood that was spilt on the cross, no holy and righteous blood for the atonement of sins, no propitiation, no gospel. Gnosticism says that the real you, the spiritual part of you is holy, it's good, it's right, but then there's that other part of you, the body, and the body is evil and the body will do whatever the body will do despite what good is in you strange I just look at that as a bit of a get out of jail free card it's like ha, ha, ha. well I hurt you I'm so sorry but I'm not really because that was my body that did that it's not the real me that did that it's a bit nuts isn't it when you start to think about it, it just doesn't make any sense you know it's just my flesh housing but the real me and lo- real me in, in me loves you it kind of just doesn't make sense how can and what's the point of a compartmentalised spiritual good you and an evil flesh you. It just doesn't make any sense. So there's another component to this false teaching that John addresses, though he doesn't use the, the word it's docetism. It says that Jesus was not a real man, that he was only ever an apparition. He was a ghost. He was never really touchable. He was n- not a real, real being. Yes, he was divine, but not human. Again, this disqualifies everything that the gospel is all about. And what we find is that Jesus, that John, John refutes this teaching. One of the things that I remember about John is that he was one of the sons of thunder. You might recall. So he was. He had a reputation of being strong. And we can see that in in these three epistles that he writes. He says, no one's going to muck with my Jesus and no one's going to muck with his gospel. And his teaching is pretty strong. But at the same time, it's wrapped up in love. And if you know the gospel of John and all the three epistles that he writes, it is absolutely drenched in love. First of all, the love that he's received from his Saviour, love toward his Saviour and love towards people around him. So today we are going to be speaking from First John, uh, John chapter two, verses three to eleven. Before we do that, I just want everybody to hop up and share a little love with one another. Just say good morning. There are a couple of visitors amongst us today. Good morning, visitors. It's great to have you here, and I would just love for us to hop up and say hello to each other. And don't forget our visitors. <laughs> It's always dangerous when you ask Christian people to get up and say g'day to each other, isn't it? Because um, because you can't get them to sit back down again. <laughs> but that's pretty extraordinary because that's the love of Jesus that we share one with another, so I love it, I love it. All right. So... Uh, Again, we're preaching through chapter 2 of 1 John, verses 3 to 11. And Pastor John informed me that the theme for this passage or for this, this uh, epistle that he's preaching through is get real. I kind of like that. I think it's pretty apt uh, because I kind of imagine the Apostle John standing up in front of his church that he's, that he's talking to and, and he's, he's looking into their faces and he's saying, look, you've been led astray. You've been following this false belief. And it's robbing you of your joy, as I think verse, uh, verse 4 says in our passage. And he says, and I can just imagine him saying, Come on, guys, get real. It's not how it should be. So John gets straight into doing some correction for the very first, chap- uh, very first verse in chapter 1. And we don't have time to dig into the whole lot of it, but suffice to say that John affirms that Jesus is the eternal one that he is the, the one who has inhabited heaven and came to earth, the very one that he has touched, he has heard with his own ears that he <coughs> has seen with his ears, seen with his eyes. And this is Jesus. He is the only light, he is only goodness, he is only righteous and there is no darkness, no deception, no sin in him at all there was no separation of body and spirit there was no good Jesus in a bad body <coughs> he was both good in spirit and in deed john says in verse 7 of chapter 1 that we should mimic him we should imitate him <coughs> that there's no separation between body and sp- <coughs> excuse me no separation between body and spirit now, I presume the pastor John finished off last time that he spoke from uh, the first epistle in chapter 2, verses 1 to 2. But I really, as I, as I read this, I, had to, I, I want to bring it again this morning. I don't know what he preached and if you need to hear it twice, maybe you just need to hear it twice. And these two verses tell us the most wonderful promises, wonderful promises about the Holy, of what the Holy Spirit tells us in scripture. When I read verse 1 of chapter 2, It fills me with confidence. It comforts me. They're wonderful promises. I find an absolute assurance in what I read in there. You know, sometimes what we can say to people, especially people who are a little bit challenged, maybe there's stuff going on in their lives. We just say, you know, just just trust the promises of God. It's all right. Just trust the promises of God. But I wonder, I wonder if I asked us here today, tell me a couple of the promises of Jesus. I mean, we could say those things, but I wonder if the speaker that says those things actually know what the promises of Jesus are. And then, what about the receiver? Yeah, yeah, trust the promises of Jesus. Don't know what they are. <coughs> but what I think here is this is something that we really need to commit to our memory, bank, memory banks. This first verse of chapter 2 is extraordinary. <coughs> How many, how many of us feel like at times when we come into that church door, when we gather with Christian people, we feel like absolute fakes? We feel like imposters. We even feel like failures. Hands up. You know, we asked this of our youth group on Friday night. There were was, was seven of us, just our, our half of the youth group. The great big other half of us was up on the hill, so we were divided into two. And I said this to our group of young people that were there. How many of you feel like an imposter sometimes when you go to church. All of them put their hands up and my hand was there as well. At times I do feel like an imposter. By the way that I live and the things that I say and do, I feel dodgy when I come into church. But that's just wrong thinking. You know, we should hate our sins. (coughs) Sin should never be a comfortable thing for us. We should always hate our sin. We should have a hate relationship with that thing. We should want to get rid of it. But what we should never do What we should never do is allow it to defeat us. It should never cause us to doubt our salvation. It never should make us feel double-minded. Verses 1 and 2. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. There's more than one promise. There's about four promises, maybe even more in there if you dig, dig deep enough. But there's one that I want us to get real with this morning. I want us to see it and I want us to hear it and I want us to believe it and I want us to find freedom in it in Christ and that is if anyone does sin. If anyone does sin, now that's all of us, right? If anyone does sin, listen to this. Our Saviour, our Lord stands before the Father and he's pleading for us on our behalf. He advocates for us. Doesn't that just make you feel, I don't know, to to know that when I sin, Jesus is there. He says, Father, I've experienced this. I know what it's like. I know the weakness of their flesh. I know the temptations. I know the weakness of their spirit. I stand here and I advocate for them, Lord. And I think this is good news. This is gospel news. You see, the gospel is not just about Jesus coming to earth, on and in, 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 in inhabiting a human body. It's not just about him living a righteous life and going to the cross to die for our sins. It's not just about him being buried and the power of God raising him from the dead. It's not just about him ascending into the heavens and sitting, sitting at the right hand of the Father, and is giving us the promise that he's going to come again. He's even now working for us right now. He never stops working. He's always working. But there's a but here. And the but is that you have to be in Christ. You have to be in Christ. He advocates for His own. If you're not in Christ, you don't get this. This is truth. This is what the scriptures tell us. And I wonder if just this morning we can just get real for a moment and believe God in this, to trust God in this, that in our sin we don't need to be defeated because our Saviour is before his God pleading on our behalf. And he says, if confess our sins, his faithful." And just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Good news. Good news. So now it's time for me to get on to the part of the message that I should be preaching. 1 John. Okay. Yes. Before I do that, I just want to have this bit of a preempt there. We, we have a look in 1 John 5:13, which says, "These things, this in, this, in this epistle, these things were written that you might know that you have eternal life." You see, the letter is not written so that it makes you doubt and become double-minded. It's so that you can be sure. It's a test. Test yourself, so that you can know for certain that you are his. That's good news. That's good news. There are two things that often happen though. One is that there are those who constantly doubt whether they're saved and then there are those who kind of have this sense, I'm saved and it doesn't matter how I live, I can live however I want, showing no evidence of salvation at all. Well, John deals with this in his letter today. This is an opportunity for us to get real about our faith. Verse 3. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commands is a liar. Strong words, right? And the truth is not in him. Firstly, we are to obey. Here we see the test of whether we truly know Jesus this is where we asked to get real about ourselves to get real about our relationship with Jesus and in 2 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 5 in the ESV it says examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith test yourselves or do you not realize this about yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you you see that we can look at these sorts of verses and, and, and kind of go, oh, well, what if I find myself, I'm not in the faith, but, but he says, test yourselves so that you can know that Jesus Christ is in you, not to cause you to doubt that he is. But of course, that finishes off and it says, Less indeed, un, unless indeed you fail to meet the test. But all, all the time, whenever Paul said those things, he says, but I know you, you're, Christ, you're in the church. We are. We are in the church. How do I know? How do I know if I'm in the faith? How does my heart and my mind come to that satisfying unity and peace that I know that I've had a life-changing, life-saving experience of Jesus? I want to say that again. How does my heart and my mind come to a satisfying unity and peace that I have had a life-changing, life-saving experience with Jesus, John says, by keeping or by obeying Christ's commandment. You know, the thing is, if we have no will to be obedient, I think that tells us straight up that we haven't met Jesus The problem sometimes is is sometimes we sin. We do. But if that sin gnaws away at you until you have to confess it to Jesus, I think by that very thing you should know that you're a Christian. Otherwise, your sin wouldn't bother you. Living in saving faith looks like obedience. John was speaking in direct opposition to the Gnostics. He was saying that Christ is in you and if Christ is in you, you and others should be able to see that. You should be able to witness it by what the body does, by the actions of our bodies. True and saving faith in the gospel of Jesus is evidential, it's experiential. And that doesn't mean we don't sin, of course. It doesn't mean we don't perpetually, but what it does mean, rather, is that we don't perpetually, willfully sin. So I just pushed the wrong button on my computer. It's going to delete everything. Uh, it means that if Christ is in you, you, if you savingly know him, your sin will hurt you. Your conscience will remind you that you're in sin and the Spirit of God will bring a conviction on you that you kind of just have to go to him in repentance with. Now, if we say that we know Jesus and we don't hate, have a hate relationship with our sin, if we say, well, you know, it's not hurting me and it's not hurting anybody else, so why does it really matter? Well, of course, I think we do have a problem. There's something going on. John calls that the fact that if you think you are saved and that's how you live, you are a liar and there is no truth in you. What is your relationship? This morning I asked this. I don't want you to speak it out. It's a rhetorical question. What is your relationship with your sin today? Are you okay with it or does it sting? Uh, I don't know where that is. Ah, here we go. This is a quote that I came across. It didn't have an author. It was just quoted. It says, sin will take you further than you have ever intended to stay. You know, sometimes it's kind of like, you know, uh, I just want, want to have that one or two beers with my friends tonight. Not that it's wrong having a beer or two, but if we hang around in that place for too long, where does it lead us? It will keep, us, it'll keep you longer than you ever intended to stay. I'm just going out to the clubs tonight and then I might go next Friday night. Maybe I'll go the Friday after that and before you know it, you have no idea the last time you are in church. And it will cost you more than you've ever intended to pay. Who knows where your sin will lead you if you stick in it for too long. Sin will take you further than you ever intended to to stray. It will keep you longer than you ever intended to stay and it will cost you more than you ever intended to pay. Verse 5, But whoever keeps his word, whoever obeys his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. If there's this overflowing willingness from the heart to obey Jesus, the gospel has done its work. The love of God has been perfected or it has been fulfilled in you. The Holy Spirit has taken up residence in you and you will find, and verse 5 and 6 again says, by this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in in the same way in which Jesus walked. So our first point was obey him. We are to obey and the second is to imitate. We are to imitate him. There'll be a new desire in us to walk like Jesus walked, a desire to imitate and even impersonate him, to reflect in our person what Jesus lived in his person, sinlessness, and righteousness and love and truth and light. Chapter 1 verse 7 says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. I don't know about you guys, but there was a, a time that when I thought of Christian people, I just got ah, I, I did not like Christian people. I don't know what it was. There was... there. I'd have to say there was even a hate in me for Christian people. If I found out you were a Christian, I did not like it. But the moment the gospel of Jesus impacted my heart, the the moment the Spirit of God, just like that, inhabited my spirit, just as immediately I loved the people of the church. Just like that. That is how you can know if you have a relationship with Jesus. When we we come to know Jesus, we need to imitate him. It's not just about this impotent spirit that lives in us that has no control over our bodies. When we imitate Jesus, when he lives in us, we start to look like him. How else did Jesus walk? Well, he submitted himself. He submitted himself and he became in the form of a bond servant and was obedient unto death. Wow, that's a big ask for us, isn't it? Even though he was equal to the Father, as a man he submitted himself in obedience. We're to walk as Jesus walked. Second Corinthians 3.18 says, And we all with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree to, of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. We're to imitate him. We will naturally and supernaturally become like the Christ we profess, unless, of, unless of course, we fail the test. I think. Thirdly, we are to love. Verse 7, Behold, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. Sorry. John starts with the term beloved. And I think that's really important. He's talking to these people as his father, as as a fatherly person. He's talking to these people as his little children, my children, his loved ones. It's a person-to-person love relationship. But over the millennia, we've seen this, haven't we? The terrible things, the horrible things that that people have done one to another. But even worse, what Christian people have done one to another, even within the same church. Verse 9 says, Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever says he hates his brother is still in darkness. Does that sting a few of us this morning? How do we feel about some of those scratchy Christians that we don't always get on with? Do we hate them? The Gnostic lie made an excuse for people to do whatever they like to each other. No, no, it's it's not me doing, it's the evil in me. But it's time to get real, says John. You were given a commandment and that commandment, it's it's not a new one because you've heard it. You've heard it forever and ever and ever. It's in the Bible. It's been there since the Old Testament. You need to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul and strength and love those people around you. And then he says, at the same time it's a new commandment that I'm writing to you which is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. It's the same commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul and strength and your neighbour as yourself but it's now new. What's going on here? Well, the thing is it's new because God has done a new thing in you. No longer do you have to force yourself to obey this command that doesn't really, you don't really feel like because Christ now comes and lives in you. He's flooded you with his light and life and love. You now want to to live this way. It's like it's brand new to you. I remember being in the, in the Anglican Church where we first started off hearing that passage over and over and over again from the green book that we used to read out of and I never ever heard it for so long and then I w- went to the minister at the end of the service. I said, I heard something today. I heard this, I heard this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul and strength in your neighbours yourself. That's amazing. He said, we say that every week. Okay, some of us are a little bit slow in the uptake, but this is the truth, isn't it? This is what Christian people should witness one to another. God has put a new heart in us and so therefore what was old now becomes new. Because of the darkness is being dispelled, we now see the old commandments in new light. It's, not, it's, it's, not, it's, 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 it's as though they've become real, it's now experiential and I think that's really important. It's when we do things in our body when we experience something in our body they become a reality to us you know we could believe it in our head but unless we're not going to unless we're going to live it is it really real I want to put this perhaps in a, in a bit of a modern uh, way I guess in a bit of a current context I had my license for a whole, Five hours, I think, before I lost it. I wasn't a Christian, that's my excuse. It was my body, my evil body doing all that sort of stuff. There was an evil spirit in me at that time as well. I wasn't saved. But that's no excuse. I knew I shouldn't speed. We, we know that we shouldn't speed. We learn it when we go for our learner's test. We, we, we actually don't speed when we've got that driving examiner sitting right next to us. We can do it, not speed. But, you know, what happens is we do. We just, It's a command for us that we don't like to keep and so we just speed. But it's only when we feel the sting of disobedience that that changes you see, when there's no real experience of why we shouldn't necessarily speed, we just do and it doesn't necessarily mean anything to us and so why should we bother keeping, keeping the law? But you know, something might change. Maybe in your speeding, you have caused somebody's death. Maybe in your speeding, somebody in somebody else's speeding, they have caused the death of somebody you love and it hurts and it becomes real, it becomes an experience of yours and so therefore that law that says do not speak becomes new to you now because there's an experience, there's a reality. I think that's what John was saying, the old commandment and the new commandment, it's the same one but we have a different heart. Verse 9, whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. If you have a dislike for a brother or a growing dislike for a brother and sister in Jesus, if you are carrying around a past hurt, something that chews you up, something that makes you say, you know, if I came across that bloke as he's walking up the street, I would go to the other side. Something that says that if he he walked in that door today, oh, there's no way I'm going to talk to him. I will never shake his hand. I will never forgive him. If that's where you are, darkness is flooding you. It is sin and you need to deal with that because that is going to be a trap for you. It's disobedience. It's not the way Jesus wants us to live. We need to deal with that. It is a trap. It is a trap that's in your control. And it will grow the root of bitterness and when bitterness grows so far it's going to set that trap off and you will stumble and you will fall. We need to deal with stumbling blocks in our lives. We need to show in ourselves that the light of Christ is living in us. You see in that passage it says, in verse 6 it says, whoever... uh, no, it says in verse 8, it says, Yet I am writing you a new commandment. Its truth is seen in him and you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. You know, sometimes we can say, I'm a good light, I'm, a good, I'm, I'm good, I'm good. The light of God is in me. But I was wondering, let me go home with you and watch what you watch on the TV. Let me hear how you speak to your wife or to your husband. Let me hear the way you speak to your children and let me see how you discipline them or not. (coughs) Let me go to your workplace and see your integrity in the workplace. Let me go there and see what you put in your pocket because your boss is not going to miss it. Let me look at your internet browsing history. Let me point out some of the things that I see you write on Facebook or on social media posts. Let me see if your relationships. Let me see you in your relationships and then let me listen to how you talk about those relationships behind their backs. <coughs> let me hear how you speak and how, let me see how you act when you are with your friends and there's no other Christians around and, and, and. My friends, if we practice walking in darkness, it will eventually overcome us. But we are filled with light and we need to live as people who are filled with light. John's plea is take the test. And if there's a whole lot of darkness, don't get down about it, deal with it. Pray it, repent Go on believing every day that the light of Jesus is in you. Moment by moment, day by day. So again, what does it look like like to be in the light, to know Jesus? It says it looks like obedience. It looks like imitating him and it looks like loving him and those around you, especially your brothers and sisters in Jesus So I plead with you, get real with your faith. As John says, these things are written that you might know that you have eternal life and put yourself to the test so that you can live in full assurance. And again, I remind us of verse 1 and 2 where we started. My dear friends, I write this to you so that you will not sin, but if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defence, Jesus Christ, the Righteous One. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not only for ours, but also for the sins of the world. Let's pray. <coughs> oh Father, we thank you for your scriptures that are so...